1: Welcome to the Gurus. Brendan here with Mark, episode 233, Friday, March the 18th, 2022. Hello, Mark. Hello, listeners. Hello, world. (laughs) I think there was a famous, famous shock jock here in Melbourne, Mark, who used to say hello, world. Darren Hinch, I think, used to do that, if you remember him. Um, And that was his opening
0: line. Um,
1: hello, world. Maybe it wasn't him. He's a, anyway. uh, there was, um, he's a there senator
0: in the Australian federal government now. And um, and in New South Wales, we had John Laws, who, um, what is it? Golden Tonsils was his nickname. And he would go, yes. uh, good morning and hello, world.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, there you go. Well, hello, <laughs> listeners. is here. Go to vetgurus.com, send us an email vetgurus at gmail.com and thank you to all our supporters our patreon supporters people who have bought some merchandise from our etsy store Um, all the links are at vetgurus.com and our main three sponsors mark specialized animal nutrition chemical essentials and Microchips Australia. Thank you very much to all of those. How are you, Mark? You've um, you've been busy um, giving some continuing education via Zoom. Well, How I
0: did have a great uh, conversation with um, the. Uh, Student members of the Arav, the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians, at uh, Sydney University, and yeah, it was it was um it was done in the modus operandi that we currently use most frequently: remote and zoomy. Um, but it was great. I always love talking to the students, Brendan, and their enthusiasm and passion for the topics that uh, you and I find interesting. It's it's um it's uh soul-serving uh soul f- uh, gratifying um i can't put it into words that's I'm what, what i was thinking. looking for <laughs> it's good. It is to say good it's good Yes, yeah um, it
1: was good it's great to see that um keen youngsters coming through mark and uh yeah a hey, rav and for and i know most of our listeners not all mark are interested or, or Are already doing or being or are um, unusual pet veterinarians or or technicians, nurses, Mark. So a fair number are probably members of the Association of Reptilian and Amphibian Veterinarians, and that's certainly one of the groups who recommend. And the other one on the mammal side is um, exotic. Um, <laughs> um, is, is um, AEMV, Association
0: of mammal Exotic vitamins. Mammal Veterinarians.
1: Um, they're the two main groups. Apart I, did, I did a big, group here I did in a big Australia. plug for you, yes.
0: Um And obviously, I, I think that's an excellent thing for students to get involved in, networking with... Uh, and it was an interesting point, Brendan. I, they were asking me you know, how I got involved in that work and, and how should they get involved in it. And I think the answer is different these days. I I just uh, made it known in the practice that I started in that I wanted to do that stuff. And every other vet was very happy to flick all the birds and reptiles and rabbits to me so they didn't have to do that. All the weird But stuff. now um, I think... Um, the the you know because there are practices that uh, have a particular interest in specialisation in this area, um, lots of practices refer to those those you know case the, those pets to those practices. So I think in general, accession practice it's more difficult to get that exotic animal experience, and so I think they need a different tactic to maybe what you and I uh, exercised when we were graduates.
1: Yes, so I think you're saying it's a bit more competitive <laughs> um, is, is, is the summary there um, than when we sort of slip or snuck in there um, during during the early days. We, we'd probably struggle to to cut the mustard these days, wouldn't we, Mark, I expect? Um, well, talking at least didn't certainly so, make me feel like that. Mate. <laughs> well done, and I'm sure they appreciate it. And I saw you... Um, they. They're keen on sending you um, some alcohol (laughs) in compensation, so yes, um, well done. Um, Anything else you want to quickly um, chat about, Mark, before we jump into our news No, I think let's get into the news. Well, I think you've got the first one, and it's
0: unsurprisingly about birds. And it's it's sort of, um, it's a little bit of a... Um, one that we can both share, I feel, at, attachment to some of these stories because of their location. And, um, and these uh, um, baby birds that are causing some development problems uh, in Port Phillip Bay are, are reasonably close to uh, uh, your home. And, of course, we just uh, travelled across Bass Strait out of Port Phillip Bay. Um, And I know there's a significant uh, Australian gannet rookery. um, uh, uh, um, It's on on the edge of Port Phillip Bay. So this story is about a Department of Defence. I suppose it looks like a dock or some sort of of um, out-of-water platform that the birds are using, the chicks are using, Um, to sort of finish their um, uh, their, um, rearing, to get to the stage where they can fledge. Um, And the Department of Defense wants to destroy that platform, um, which there's some argument about what the consequences will be. Uh, The first uh, consequence... Uh, the first um, interpretation was by the Department of Defense's experts who thought um, that the birds would be okay, that there was a bond with the parental birds, and um, that if there was a problem, they could farm the hundred-odd chicks out to carers and everything would be hunky-dory, so they want to go ahead and destroy the platform. Um, they do plan to put the birds on a secondary, smaller platform 50 or 60 metres away But uh, Birdlife Australia experts particularly uh, think that um, gannets, like many seabirds who have rookeries with lots of birds, they um, they need they use significant uh, geographical cues to identify their chick. It's not just the look of their chick, Um, and so the Birdlife Australia are worried that all these chicks are going to die if they're moved. now, the gannets are not a threatened species um, and uh, some people might argue that um, that progress, 50 birds that uh, are on an artificial structure in any case wouldn't have made it. Um, but I just think it demonstrates how badly planned these things are. Surely the Department of Defence has had years and years of this sort of thing happen and they would know when the birds were fledged. Surely they could have scheduled it better. I'm surprised, too, by the estimate. They've been asked to wait for four weeks to the bird's fledge. And what was the estimate of time, Brendan? I think it was something like uh, $8 million it would cost. Yes, for the three months, yes. Jeez, what yes. are they building? Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a depressing one, isn't it? It's the usual um, wait till things are... an an absolute crisis and then throw a (laughs) boatload of money at it and and think we've solved the problem, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know what to say about it, Mark. Um, Yeah, what's your solution to these
0: sorts of things? the Department of Defence has a spare $8 million, so hold it up and let the birds go. The the birds uh, are only using what was put there and um, and we should be the ones made to be flexible uh, for them. I've got. Uh, there's no argument yep. from me. The chicks come first. Yep. Yes, those
1: gannets. Yes. I tell you what, they certainly use up every square <laughs> centimeter, don't they? On those little platforms, it's amazing the pictures there. And we'll have a link to that. And on neatly the too, they use it very, very regularly. <laughs> <little laughs> yeah, they're all sort of, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I wonder if many get pushed off the edge, Mark. Um,
0: no, I don't do think reckon? so at all. I think they they just space out. There's a certain number of chicks and they know the space that they need um, and they occupy that space. If if only life was that kind,
1: Mark. My, my new story is about the second most dangerous animal in Africa apart from mosquitoes, and that's the hippopotamus, Mark. Um, And I I don't know whether you've looked at this story yet. You've probably just glanced through it. Um, Where they, geez, they're really hard to study, aren't they? Um, Not only are they aggressive on the land when they come out to graze and um, then they jump back in the water, but even in the water they can be very aggressive. So trying to study anything about them um, is a real challenge, and this was... A study done to try and look at the um, vocabulary of hippos, Mark, and um, it was, uh, gee, they struggled, didn't they? Um, So what they did is they, it was published in Current Biology, uh, which we'll have a link to, and it was in a reserve in Mozambique where they had several lakes were inhabited by one or more groups um, or pods of hippos. And they studied, I think seven of the pods. And the researchers stood a fair way away, um, at least 75 meters according to the story, and they used shotgun microphones to pick up remote sounds. And what they did it then, Mark, is they, re- they played the recordings back to the others and to other pods as well to try and get a bit of a feel for what each of the types of noises and grunts and bellows and squeals meant. Um, and the, the main one, the wheeze honk, um, can be heard more than 800 metres away, Mark. Um, and they did 10 separate experiments where they did the recordings and played it back um, to either their own group or to a neighbouring group on the same lake or to a stranger group or a pod on another lake and they videoed their responses as well Um, and well they sort of worked out that you know some of them um, would react aggressively to 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 some of the sounds that might be from an unknown pod for instance Um, and it really just highlighted that We don't know much (laughs) about hippos still, Mark, Um, and that they do have a social system that's complicated with uh, many interactions, which makes sense, Um, um, and that they also do have a complex vocal system and they can distinguish familiar and unfamiliar voices. but. I tell you what, it would be. They would be a difficult species to study, Mark, and you would be using a lot of caution to study them, wouldn't I've you? I've seen
0: a short video of a hippo taking aversion to um, some. Some, I think they were researchers on a boat. They might have been tourists, um, and charged the boat, and then went underwater, and like kept the boat took off. It was a. a powered motorboat, Um, and lo and behold, the hippo's powered underwater and pops up right next to it. They are scary beasts. I wouldn't want to be uh, playing uh, aggro-neighbor calls to a a random pod of hippos in the night, even from 75 metres away, to observe their behaviour.
1: Yeah, and I think there have been records of them. Upend in boats, Mark. The smaller boats, so they're, they're they're very powerful animals, and yeah, it's not not that I've seen them in the wild, but I think I'd be very cautious if I was, not I'd be using my long <laughs> lens, Mark, to take pictures of them. I would be getting, I wouldn't be using the wide angle on them somehow. Um, yeah, so there you go. There's my one and only story, Mark, on hippos. Um, and with that, we'll jump into our main. Topic this week which is one that we've repeated we we one we have done previously which episode 163 which was way back in november of 2020 but it's a it's a common question isn't it mark not just from clients but from vet students and vets um referring client cases to us or just wanting some advice over the phone and that's dissectiasis in reptiles so abnormal shedding um, in reptiles, Mark, and you suggested we have this topic again. And I think it was because you were giving some advice closer to home, weren't you? Well, I was
0: talking to the... When I was talking to the students last night, they asked some very insightful questions about uh, dysectiosis. And um, of the couple of topics we talked about, it was was one that generated uh, a, a good... Few questions, which I don't think we did answer in our previous one. So we can, um, as as we should, expand. Well, let's cover them uh, today, Mark.
1: So well, if if that's the case, you've covered it all last <laughs> night, then you can lead most of the discussion here. But I think we've before we go, jump onto abnormal shedding, we should talk about the normal shed cycle, market, which is ecdysis, and that's a normal shedding process, and. Now, the usual questions we get very often or all the time from clients are, how often will my snake or lizard or turtle shed? What's normal? What is not normal? Um, But if we stick with what's normal is, how often do these animals shed? And the answer it's variable, isn't it? So true,
0: Brendan. It is highly variable. And it depends on the age of the animal. When they're younger, they will... Um, grow more quickly, and so shed more frequently and as they get older, those intervals between sheds uh stretch out um the animals the species it does depend a little bit on the species some species, as adults might not shed for you know once every six or twelve months, others will um, have a spurt of activity when the you know the if they're a seasonal animal and they enter torpor and then when they wake up those warmer months, they may pound out uh new skin um, three or four times over the the uh, summer uh, uh, season. So it is highly variable. But I, you hit the, the, the good point to make out of this is that it's really important to become familiar with what is normal for a particular species. So, um, you know, even the manner of the shed, the fact that most snakes are going to shed in one neat uh piece that's going to turn inside out like a sock Um, and many uh, lizards are going to do it piecemeal Um, and as a consequence they are going to look tatty for a day or two until they get it all off Um, and our turtles are going to shed scoots at a time and so um, they'll end up with a little bit of a checkerboard pattern sometimes Um, and being aware of what's normal then allows you to go hey hang on um, this snake is a bit patchy rather than shedding in one whole thing, and that alerts us to something being wrong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or or that turtle has suddenly shed virtually all its cutes, the little sections there at once, or, or the owner's seen a whole heap of them in the aquarium there, and that's abnormal. What should be happening with the turtle is you just seen little bits, a few of them every now and again with it. Um, and same story with our... With our lizards, where they're doing that piecemeal shedding, um, you—the classic one we see all the time, Mark—is those the yeah, yes. the dragons, or, or sometimes the eastern, um, eastern. Uh, the blue tongue lizards, where they have the retained sheds around the toes, Mark, and they can be certainly a problem with them. So, um, yeah, so I'm jumping into <laughs> signs there, Mark. So, what, what, what's the signs that these, and we've Basically, just almost summarised it already. The, the signs of an abnormal shed.
0: Why are these animals present presenting? Oh, th- and I think the key thing here to say, Brendan, is that I like to think of dissectasis as a sign itself. That's often, you know, presented as oh, my animal has is having a faulty shed, um, but that. Is an indication that something else is um, going on that's wrong. And if you, you know, if you look at Doctor Google, you'll hit the humidity problem that there is inappropriate humidity in the enclosure. And certainly, for many reptiles, that you know, the we have a thermal gradient. We should also have a. Uh, um, know, a humidity gradient and maybe a humidity box for them to achieve certain levels of humidity. But that's not the only cause. And there are certain metabolic problems that will, uh, serious infections, for example, will interfere with normal thyroid function and thyroid is critical to triggering those uh, shedding routines. And so, Um, animals that uh, in that sort of a situation will often have um, problems with their shed. We'll see uh, animals that have recently had surgery um, and uh, have had a skin incision might um, fire off a couple of quick sheds straight after a surgical procedure. So the the unusual shed itself is an indication, I reckon, Brendan, that we should be looking for uh, either a husbandry practice or a health issue um, that it that has triggered that problem.
1: Yes, and funnily enough, spoiler alert: a lot of them are just inadequate or inappropriate husbandry, as as <laughs> usual when we're talking about the unusual pets with them. So let's drill down to the classic signs of a dissectiosis in snakes, Mark. So what what are the typical presentation for those? What
0: do you see? Well, the most common sort of presentation is uh, a part, you know, an incomplete shed. There's uh, milky scales, um, some uh, fluid having seeped in between the cleavage uh, plane between the old part of the scale and the new part. Um, So those scales look milky. um, And then there'll be a, a, you know, lovely fresh... Uh, scale adjacent that has a lovely bloom to it. Um, And so the pattern of that uh, inappropriate shed can be seen all over the body. Now, it obviously is um, worst in the parts of the snake when there are um, alterations to the scalation. So we tend to see little bits of uh, inappropriate shed around the the head, the eyes, um, the creases of the mouth, the pits, the labial pits in pythons, um, the nostrils. And uh, and then we might see if the snake has scars further down the body, they might trigger um, an inappropriate re- rem- removal of the scales at that point. And then finally, at the cloaca, there's regularly um, some problems going on there. So um, important to pay particular attention when there is a good shed, just to hold it up to the light and examine all those places and make sure that uh, that all the scales have been removed.
1: Yes. And if you do see a snake that has what looks like multiple retained sheds in any or, or some or all of those areas, then we start thinking, hey... This is probably a, a snake that has very poor husbandry or the owner doesn't look after that snake very well because we've had multiple episodes of a dissectiasis where we've got constant you know, little bits that are retained there I and mean, you can you can often see those layer and it's not rare for that to happen certainly in my practice and I'm sure you see the same Mark um, where you get some of those chronic ones and then you think oh. and then you start digging a bit deeper into the history and the Um, husbandry of that particular patient and client and you realise that there's multiple things going wrong that that need addressing. Definitely
0: the case, Brendan. And in our experience, uh, we'll see um, those little uh, hatchlings that might be passed on to a a newbie client um, and the hatchling um, is not well, is dehydrated and then ends up encased in um, two or three uh, unremoved sheds Um, and they can be very, like you said, indication of significant uh, husbandry faults and metabolic derangements and dehydration. And, and they can be very difficult snakes to turn around. Yes.
1: So jumping over to the lizards. Mark, what are the typical dissectices signs in, in the lizards? Um, I expect you're going to say something a little bit similar, with a slight variation <laughs> than what you just
0: said. with, with the I love it when I'm so predictable. <laughs> and the key thing that I uh, um, with lizards that uh, I draw people's attention to are the um, the extremities. So the, the you mentioned it before the toes and the tail. Um, uh, it's very important, particularly with a terrestrial. Uh, um, uh, the sorts of lizards, blue-tongues, bitter dragons, who spend a lot of time on the ground rather than um, climbing, they will definitely get uh, um, shed remnants encircling their digits. And as they grow, those shed remnants will behave like a tourniquet and potentially uh, lead to a vascular necrosis of the digit or the end of the tail, which can, in some instances, end up being very painful, first of all, or even worse, can provide a focus of compromised dead tissue that can get infected and lead to serious septicemia problems.
1: Well said. <laughs> <laughs> so our Chelonian friends, Mark, what do we see in those when things aren't going to plan? Which well,
0: they the, the classic... The classic one that uh, um, we, we seem to be seeing more and more frequently um, is pyramiding, where inappropriate sheds and the nature of um, the calcium layers in the bone underneath the sheds it begins to change the shape of the scoots. Um, and we've had some uh, particularly long neck turtles that have had reasonably... Um, Poor husbandry, um, and they'll be two or three years old, and they have these uh, neat altered shapes to the the scoots with, um, and you can literally see the little uh, um, uh, ridges of each of the inappropriate sheds. The scoots are much thicker, I would, like the the the, um, the very membranous thin skin that's passed off a, a snake, um, uh, off our lizards, the translucent. Thin skin that you see shed from them. Um, the scoots of turtles tend to be much thicker, um, and so that's why it only takes a, a, a few missheds, and you've got a, a pyramid shape building up on each of those scoots.
1: Yes. So we're presented with one of these reptiles with an abnormal shed mark. What's your approach to treatment? Um, and then we'll jump into the prevention at the end. So how do we deal with that snake? Let's start with a snake which has a retained shed. It hasn't shed in one piece, and let's say it has a, a retained, or oh, we could do a whole <laughs> s- podcast on the retained eye spectacle, eye scale, so we might leave that one for the moment. Let's talk about it just has a retained sh- piece of shed on its well, tail.
0: It's divided up into two parts, the the uh, the. The plan, as it were, um, the first part is uh, first aid. You need to get um, that piece of uh, skin off, and I actively discourage people from picking at them or doing the um, the sunburn. I'll just peel it off with my fingers. Routine. Um, uh, we tend to recommend maybe a little bit of um, uh, moisturizer uh, put on to the area, then maybe a warm, wet towel or, or shallow bath, um, and allow the area to allow that, uh, um, skin, the shed skin that hasn't been removed to be softened and rehydrated. Um, and then a towel, um, gently used to ask the snake to crawl through will generally be abrasive enough for that moistened, uh, Remnant skin to be removed. Um, it, I think it's desperately important to be very gentle and low key with this that uh, that you know aggressive attempts to try and remove the stuff can damage the underlying skin just as much as uh, be successful at removing the dead skin over the top.
1: Yes. And I think the key comment with that is take your time with it. You don't have to potentially get the whole thing off in one go. And I often mention that to clients, if we don't get the whole, or if the clients try and do it down the track at home, if they have a chronic dyssectitis snake, which shouldn't be a thing, but it sometimes is, um, that they attempt to just gently soften it and, and remove it and remove what bit they can. And if they can't, Remove it all in one go, they try again the next day or the next day. You're exactly Um, right,
0: Brendan. It doesn't, it uh, takes two or three
1: uh, days. Yeah, the last thing we want to see is where they peel off, um, you know, the underlying new skin layer. And we end up with this red, raw area because they've been too aggressive.
0: The other thing I I always mention about um, that technique, Brendan, is that um, we would regularly um, lay a, a snake in that situation. Um, on a towel that's warm and wet um, and then maybe even lay the towel over the snake, uh, the back half of its body. Um, But you've got to be very careful. If you put a snake between two layers of towel and don't, particularly some of these weak hatchlings, um, you can suffocate them. Um, And so it's very important to just make sure they can breathe. They've got their head out of water um, and... uh, and, you know, that they still feel concealed and you can rehydrate the skin that way. Yep.
1: Now, you meant so Was did you cover the two, you said there was two steps oh, to I that just one. just to emphasise
0: that. That, um, that the first aid is not the end of the problem. You do need to um, fairly aggressively delve into... The husbandry, the history, um, perform any uh, appropriate tests if you think there's metabolic diseases going on. Um, don't just stop at the first aid because uh, because as you highlighted before, these cases can end up uh, being chronic issues, and uh, and you want at the earliest stages to sort those problems out before um, the changes become irreversible. Yep,
1: excellent. Now what about that lizard mark with the retained shed around those toes that are looking a little bit maybe erythematous a little bit swollen what well, do I think
0: do? Uh, as your instincts would no doubt um, lead you to assume that's a bit more of an urgent problem. We don't want to wait three or four days. Um, We use the same general principles, try to hydrate the area, soften it. Um, But these are ones where I wouldn't hesitate to uh, even anesthetize a lizard and uh, ensure that those um, tourniquets of of deadened skin are removed. Um, I know that uh, they... the that the uh, skin and the underlying tissue, particularly in blue tongues, can suffer secondary infection from uh, dermatophilus, and so it's very important to uh, get that removed as quickly as possible and return normal blood flow and function to the, uh, the digit as quickly as possible and our turtles mark <laughs> thank thank goodness our um our wonderful uh podcast program removes some of the the extended silence Remove that delay that we had for several seconds there yes so what do we do with the turtles that have that abnormal well, shed uh, turtles are a little bit more difficult because um they're you know the two phases the skin over the the unshelled part of them uh, we treat a lot like the way that we would treat um, our uh, um, our other reptiles. Obviously, they're in water, and so that uh, skin is going to be um, uh, already hydrated. And so gently abrading it with a towel to um, remove it is good. But the scoots, I tend to be um, much more focused in the turtles on trying to correct whatever um, uh, husbandry issue it is, what it, ensure that they get adequate exposure to sunlight. If the scoots have started to slough, if I've got a little bit of um, uh, you know space where I can lift one up, um, then I probably am in the situation where I'm going to um, look to leave it as far as I can and then apply some iodine to to that area to try and make sure that the underlying tissue doesn't get infected. Um, I'll probably give that some time. I try, as you said before, try not to just rip it off the first time it looks like it's flexible. Um, But, um, but I am pretty keen where there's a a flexible scoop that's partly attached. I'm keen to get that off because that protected area underneath that wedge uh, as the, um, you know you can't quite get into that provides a perfect environment for uh, bacterial infest fester. is the word uncle <laughs> fester
1: <laughs> i agree with you completely yes um, and what do you use to gently pry them off mark I, well i have a couple of little simple um implements and, and one of them is literally a a variation, or, or, or several different types of knitting needles, Mark, <laughs> um, that we use in my clinic. Uh, and they work quite well, so they've got a blunt tip on them and they're quite good at just gently uh, wedging in between and gently flicking off that retained scute. It's, a,
0: it's funny because um, I, uh, I, uh, I would probably probably most frequently be using something like a dental probe a blunt-ended dental probe um but um but yeah i, I always trust you'll find a less expensive probably more functional uh <laughs> option for an instrument for these purposes it's it seems to be a pattern with you brendan
1: uh, i'm always on there i'm, I'm, I'm just call me Mac- giver <laughs> um with these things okay so we've 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 gently helped with the dissectis and that. Um, so we, our, our, our treatment there, Mark. What what's the keys to prevention with these? And and the obvious one there is husbandry there. Um, and humidity is the one people always think about, and it certainly is is potentially the case with a fair number of these. And when I explain it to clients, I I try and simplify things and say, look, if if the humidity is too dry then what happens in a normal ectiasis is there's a a liquid, almost like a lymph, isn't it, that's shed in between the old and the new shed, um, especially in the snakes and the lizards. And if it's too dry, the enclosure, then that dries out really quickly so we end up with an abnormal shed. They can't um, remove it. So um, humidity
0: is certainly one of the the factors to consider there, Mark. Um, What's some of the other ones? the general health and mobility of the animal. Um, I think that um, this is often taken for granted that, um, that they're going to be able to shed normally, but uh, we definitely see those animals that... Uh, that maybe had metabolic bone disease when they were young, they have slightly um, misshapen bones, uh, but um, they've hardened up a little bit later than they would have otherwise, um, and now they're pain-free, but they can't move as they normally would. And uh, that mobility, that difference in mobility, means they are unable to to shed their skin properly. Similarly, uh, we see obese snakes who tend to be sedentary. Those snakes will often not move um, or apply appropriate pressure um, uh, and uh, they'll fail to shed. It follows, of course, the other side of the argument that um, they regularly uh, need something to begin to initiate the shed so something that's gently abrasive uh, that the the uh, the snake or lizard will start to to break the join between the old and new skin often around their lips if they don't have um, such a you know stone or piece of bark or whatever is appropriate for that individual then getting it started can be impossible so um, making sure that they're fit and healthy, that they're mobile um, and they have appropriate environmental enrichment in the form of gently abrasive surfaces all help to prevent it. Yes. And
1: getting back to causes, Mark, I think one of the other um, factors that link in with prevention is hygiene as well. So um, we always um, really concentrate on if it's a Pretty grotty enclosure there then, um, when that animal's trying to shed, um, I'm always concerned what factor we have with with that inadequate hygiene being been part of that dissection in that animal so we we get back to basics with them and go through the whole setup with enclosure cleaning and, and hygiene with them as well um, and yeah you're, you're spot on uh, as usual mate. with the with they need something to rub against to help remove that shed especially those snakes because they don't have legs so they need to try and um, rub it somehow so you've got to make sure that we have an enclosure that's Environmentally enriching, and also has some nice surfaces where it can help commence that ectasis on it. Mark, um, what other factors, Mark, with with prevention with them that we talk about humidity, um, enclosure, um, furniture, etc. And what about nutrition? Um, is there anything there that you'd consider with helping prevent? Abnormal dis, uh, abnormal. Well, I think um,
0: I? that uh, we highlighted, we mentioned before, uh, the obese animals are less able to manoeuvre. They're less likely to manoeuvre um, and have the normal mobility. But I also think that um, uh, there are diets that would encourage particular animals to. Um, one of the things that always fascinates me about reptile uh, medicine is that they run that um, their hydration status, their homeostasis for hydration has a much wider range than uh, of normal than we would consider appropriate for mammals. Um, so many reptiles will run dry and still be okay in the normal course of events. Um, and you can influence uh, that running dry or running not completely normal or running a bit um, more um, moist by appropriate nutrition. And there are some diets that are going to dry particular animals out. Um, And so making sure a well-rounded, well-moistened diet um, goes into these animals definitely makes a difference. There are some, uh, uh, what shall we call them, Brendan, marketers um, who talk about adding... so. Um, it's sort of pertinent to where we are um, down in Tasmania at the moment. Um, there are some marketers who talk about adding um, oils to the diet. In fact, um, uh, um, shearwater, oh, mutton yes. bird oil, um, on.
1: The old mutton bird oil it used to be flavor of the month many years ago, and every few years it comes back. And that in every second person coming in with a snake seems to say, I add mutton bird oil to my snake's diet to, to, you know, it's a, it's,
0: it's. The magic, isn't it? Well, like I said, Brendan, I think I think marketing has played a big role in the importance of mutton bird oil. Um so i I, I don't recommend um, that as an additive to uh, to the diet. Just um uh, a nice, uh, healthy adult um, prey item uh, for snakes and uh, vary them up a little bit um, and make sure that they uh, that you know they're wet. Um, is a good thing to uh, help maintain hydration. Um, So I don't think they're bad things at all. Yes,
1: and I agree. I don't particularly recommend the Flavor of the Month whether it be mutton, bird, oil, I'm trying to remember. There's been a couple of others over it the has. years, hasn't there, Mark? Um, and the the other thing that I certainly don't recommend is there's various products that are, are marketed to help um, shed um, in your reptile, you know. Um, and I, I was going to mention a particular trade name, oh, but I won't. <laughs> um, so marketing, um, again, that, that, that products that really supposedly help them relieve that, abnormal shed, and some of them are just variations on um, uh, what are the variations yes, yeah, most but there's another product i'll oh, it'll come to me in a second, once we've so to wrap <laughs> up probably um, but I don't recommend them um, at all. you fix the husbandry and that fixes a problem in in the vast majority of cases now, briefly before we go, mark, you did mention that were other there were potentially some other uh disease related conditions that can end up causing an abnormal shed. Do you wanna um, briefly mention a couple of those? What other sort of um, you know, hormonal exactly. disease problems or something. Well, there's other been so- a couple of cases
0: where we have now, I've got to say, first of all, that um that the tests we we've run thyroid tests on a number of these because um thyroid is the the uh Endocrine, the part of the endocrine system which determines the rate of shedding, um, and I've been suspicious in a number of cases that um, that thyroid disease of itself, but or um, uh, euthyroid disease associated with significant other metabolic disturbance, are core are, 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 you know core causes of disectosis. Um and we have uh, seen a number of uh, cases where we have run the, the thyroid test, not obviously not validated for reptiles, but um, uh, we ended up with very low thyroid numbers in a number of ectysis cases. Um, and, uh, and, and that gave us some clues to look elsewhere. In one of those cases, we did supplement the, the um, lizard in question with um, uh, thyroid hormone, and, uh, and saw it return to normal patterns of shedding. So I think that um, uh, looking for metabolic causes, significant infections, um, uh, significant trauma um, and endocrine disease are ways that we will investigate disectitis in the future. Yes. Absolutely. It's
1: an, unsurprisingly, um, we'd think some of these endocrine diseases similar to other species will result in problems with skin, Mark. So, yes. Great summary there, Mark. Um, thank you very much for your time, as usual. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think of a segue <laughs> to close, but I think we will just say... Huru from the Gurus, and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet
0: Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.